Welcome to Probably Science. I am Andy Wood. I'm Jesse Case. I'm Matt Kirshen. How's it going, everyone? Good, good. Yeah, yeah, doing um, doing all right. You know, well, we got a fun guest. We should. I think we should get straight into this because you know we've we've had guests from different categories of of life. We've had scientist guests and actors and comedians, but astronauts. Astronauts. We have had an sure. astronaut. We've had an astronaut, but. I believe am I am I right about this going back through our, our archives? But I think this might be our first American Gladiator. I think this might be our first. <laughs> it's probably our first American Gladiator. Indeed. I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have with us today none other than Dan Nitro Clark. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. How scientific are you guys? If you don't even know <laughs> if I'm the first Gladiator, <laughs> it's been. I mean, we've been what doing the this hell is know. happening here? <laughs> There's been some episodes where we've been trying to record and we've been knocked off a podium uh, sure. by someone swinging through the air. So, you know, it's, it's hard to remember <clears throat> from time to time. Yeah, but... we're, uh, we're assuming you're the first American gladiator, but, you know, one never knows. Um, <laughs> so I, I first... Well, whoever was the first then must not have made a very good impression if, no, if you no, three geniuses is, no. can't remember. <laughs> Right. I, I'm just, Between let, Jesse let's go and Matt, if you can't remember, you guys are going to remember me because I am a science expert. <laughs> Ab- well, absolutely. You're named after one of the best elements on the periodic table. Yeah. Um, you know. Dan? Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yep. Maybe it's the Asian middle name, Danny Lee. That must be an element. That's an yeah, element that's- of inclusion these days. That's why I put it in my middle name. You know, my name mm-hmm. is, I'm half Japanese, but my name is Dan. You know, I've always been Dan Clark. But um, you know, to uh, be included now, I use some of my Asian background, and I call myself Danny Lee Clark. It sounds more Asian, right? Indeed. Okay, we will change the, I will I'll put that as the title of the episode, Danny Lee Clark, rather than. Or Danny Lee um, Nitro Clark. That sounds Danny very Lee Asian. Quotes <laughs> Nitro Clark. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our paths first crossed at CrossFit about um, 10 or 12 years ago at Horsepower CrossFit in Studio City. I was pretty new to it. And it, it's a, that's a pretty interesting gym because you'll be doing a workout and then like halfway through realize like, oh, wait, that's Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell or that's Michael Pena or I'm working out with Nitro from American Gladiators. And you also were very helpful in me with my with my back surgery because you had a similar you've had similar back issues to mine over the years correct yes i i don't re, uh, remember particularly what your back issues were but what i had uh, five years ago uh, was advanced disc replacement which is you know completely different than a, a fusion you know a fusion i think the success rate is like 30 percent the advanced disc replacement where they actually put an artificial disc in that articulates is like the the satisfaction rate is like 90 Oh, cool. So, yeah. I'm, and is that what you had done, Andy? No, I, I just had a discectomy. Just they cut out the part that ruptured, but I don't have anything artificial put in yet. But that was four years ago, and it's starting to get bad again. So I might hit you up for more advice. That's not even know. really back surgery, Andy. That sounds kind of whiny. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, who's that dude that got his dick cut off? 
<laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, a long time ago. Bob, long time right? ago. Yeah, Bob it, right? Bob it. So a disectomy is kind of like saying, "Oh, I got my dick cut off when all you got was circumcised." <laughs> okay. Oh, I said you got sure. the so, so you've been sur- you got your disc circumcised, okay. right? I got my just, shit cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did you Dan, lose? Did you Dan lose didn't height? even use anesthetic. No yeah. anesthesia. They just did well, it. You know, funny story is when we we're doing a. Uh, I'll answer that question to Andy in a, a second. But um, when I was in Japan, we were doing the Gladiators over in Japan. Uh, they had a show there, and we were doing the Atmosphere one, which is like a science project where they have these big metal round cages that the Gladiators would get into, and once you're inside that cage, you run like a hamster. And I remember because I'm tall compared to a lot of uh, uh, the Japanese competitors, these round hamster balls were smaller and we're running and I bang into somebody and I'm tall and my head hits the top of the metal round cage and blood just starts gushing down my face. So I go to the doctor in backstage and. Uh, the reason I'm telling the story because I looked at the guy and I said, hey, you know, I'm part Japanese. I'm a samurai. I says, I, I, I don't want anything to numb it. And he looks at me. And he's like, OK. And he starts to like you know, cut my head. And I was like, no, no, I'm gonna, I was just kidding. I am not tough. Like, Give me painkillers. Knock me out before you put a stitch in me. There is no Rambo here. Man, yeah. who, I didn't, who I didn't amongst doctors. us, you know, yeah. I, I had no idea today's episode would be so relatable. Um, the, amount, the amount of times that we've, this has happened to all of us, the, the giant st- uh, steel spheres bumping into people. And it was like last week or something. I think I, well, unreal. Sure. Man. So, uh, so you amazing. asked me another question, Andy, that I, I, I talked over because I was telling you about uh, my experience with uh, no anesthesia. No, why is it called? You said it was called the Atlas. I'm sorry. I interrupted Atlas sphere. Oh, okay. Atmosphere. Yeah, I didn't it was know a classic it was like a, American I, Gladiator game. I think it came in the fourth season, and you put us into these large metal balls, uh, and we ran like hamsters. And the idea is, you, Andy, would be trying to get to these certain pods on an arena floor, and I tried to run in my spear and keep you in your sphere from getting to that pod, so you couldn't score a point. Okay. So- I didn't know if it was like a Charles Atlas thing. Like when you said, uh, I, I misheard you. Well, atmosphere. I think it's just a play on atmosphere and then Atlas held up the earth, right? So it's like a right. sphere and it's... Uh... I mean, I've seen I've ne- I've seen the Netflix series now, um, the you know, the behind the scenes, which by the way, you, you are comfortably the standout in that show. That's, you you are funny yeah, it's amazing every stuff. scene. But, in other um, words, I'm the only one he could get to come on the show. <laughs> you tried everybody else. Like, we're going to get that Dan guy because Andy knows him from CrossFit. Andy did CrossFit. <laughs> Andy, that Andy CrossFit connection coming good again. But, um, but yeah, from that series, it's pretty clear. When you're trying to work out the sort of etymology of the atmosphere, I think it Wait, seems like not a huge amount of word, thought. What does to, that word mean? Etymology. Oh, oh, the origin of the word, like where the word came from. But it it seems okay. like. From the series, particularly in the early seasons, they were really winging it. <laughs> they were like, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount of thought that went into every game before they chucked human guinea pigs into it and saw whether or not you bled. Yeah, that would that would be correct. Um, in the beginning, it started off as a film script idea, kind of the A team goes and saves the world. It was this hard hat competition, American Gladiators, was uh, created by a guy named Dan Carr in Erie, Pennsylvania. 
And there was an Elvis impersonator who he bodyguarded for. And he had written this script, from my understanding, you know, called the American Gladiators. And again, hard hat, Olympic kind of guys go on and, you know, solve the world's problems. So Johnny, the Elvis impersonator, takes this thing to Hollywood as a movie. Can't sell it as a movie. A company likes the title American Gladiator. Oh, and by, by the way, in the movie script, these guys came from the hard hat Olympics. Oh, maybe we should take this film script and turn it into an idea where people go against competitors and the only thing we really like about your movie script is the title. So they <laughs> had nothing and they had to create the show. And if you watch Muscles and Mayhem on Netflix, it goes back into that big word. What was it? Etymology? Yeah. Yeah, the origin. You're going to say the origin. The, uh, the, yeah, the origin of word. But yeah, the whole... Yeah, it, it that... I think I think they I don't think there's anything sort of more 80s than an Elvis impersonator who owns a gym having just a title and nothing else and ending up basically being an executive producer of this series that was franchised around the world. Oh yeah, and, and ESPN did a version which really covered their story and, and it was, you know, whose idea was this? Did this one guy steal this idea from uh, the other guy? <laughs> and so apparently Johnny Ferraro the guy takes the idea and makes a partnership deal with Dan Carr, says, hey, you know, I'm the Elvis impersonator. I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to sell this for us. Well, six years go by. Dan Carr is sitting at home. He turns on the TV and there's this TV show on called American Gladiators. He had not heard anything from Johnny, from my understanding. And <laughs> And then all of a sudden, he's like, wait, that's the title of my thing. Wait, why is he getting a created by credit and I'm not even on screen? I mean, that's <laughs> how auspicious the, the origins of this show were. But they took this thing they shot, which was a pilot, which never aired. They shot it at the Equestrian Center here in Los Angeles, uh, Griffith Park. And, they sh and it was just it was terrible. It was like Running Man, space costumes, and, you know, I think one of the events the director saw was David Letterman, where they were human Velcroing people to a wall. So you had like a cable, and they pulled through you against a wall, and yeah. they would see if you would stick. I remember literally doing that at, like, there was a party in one of those kind of, like, events activity centers that has you know laser tag and stuff like that and that was one of the things you could do where you where you wear a velcro suit and you run against a wall and you jump onto it and you stick against the wall but but you really have to want to stick to it i think that was <laughs> that was what wasn't that what they discovered went wrong with that game when they tried well it? i wasn't i wasn't even around matt i wasn't even there yeah. this was pre-nitro days so uh i think in the you are correct in the netflix series they showed we actually got footage of that and they showed that it didn't work well <laughs> yeah i think they might have needed uh <laughs> i know other things that stick to the wall quite well sure <laughs> sure so how did your path cross with the American Gladiators then? You weren't there in the very beginning, but tell us about your journey onto the show. And presumably you were <clears throat> presumably you were already quite fit. I mean, I guess I would I would I would assume you weren't just like I'm going to audition you're just some guy that looks like me and then you're like I should probably get Jack for this. You know, <laughs> like uh, so so I guess I guess the real question is when when did you start when did the fitness bug hit? And then uh, how did that fitness bug hit when I was a young kid, when okay. I was uh, maybe cool. 11, 12 years old, my, uh, my 
Japanese mother bought me this little uh, thing from Sears, this little weight thing with my stepfather where it was the plastic weights filled with sand and you had this little bar and a little bench and uh, right then, maybe 11 years old, 12, 12 years old, I started to go in my garage and started to, you know, pump a little sand. And, um, you know, if, for me, it was really about identity. You know, okay. for me, sports was a way to be seen. You know, you're good at a sport, you get uh, validation, you get adoration. So that was the first way I knew how to feel good about myself as a, as a human being. Right. Was when I would do something on the field, there was that immediate feedback of, hey, that was a good play. You know, Clarks, you know, they smack you on the, on the back and say, good. And that really filled me. So I wanted to chase that validation. Uh, so I got hooked on sports, you know, that dopamine rush. <laughs> and it, you know, became yep. a, an addiction, which, it, which it's a healthy addiction to this yeah. day. And like, yeah. I wish you guys could see me because my newest addiction, and it's been for the last couple of years, is a pickleball. And I oh. thought we were going to be on camera, so I have a shirt on. It says, I have a dinking problem, if you understand pickleball. So, I, I've, been, I've been playing pickleball with a few friends of the show, a few past guests of the show. Where, where do you normally play? Where are you still in L.A.? You part of, uh... I'm in Los Angeles. I moved out to a, me and the missus uh, moved out to a small little sleepy area called Stevenson Ranch over by Valencia. And I'm a member of the Paseo Club. Uh, it's a tennis club, and uh, I play over there quite often. And I travel and I play on tournaments as well. Would you like to oh, come dang. out and uh, probably science uh, come out and try me? <laughs> Let, we we should do that. You would you would destroy me. I think uh, uh, I want to come <laughs> watch. I'm pretty bad at it, but I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, no, it's good I, fun. Um, it's good. Can fun, we man. dress up as <laughs> contenders and then you know have it be? <laughs> I can play pickleball in a few months because I'm playing cucumber ball right now. So it's oh, you got to wait for uh, Yeah, it's got to go away yeah. a little while. Yeah, what is cucumber it. ball? Nah, I'm just being an idiot. I'm just messing around. Um, but so yeah, you're you're in. So so you're you're getting your dopamine rush. You're in incredible shape, and then you're like, this. I'm gonna need to velcro myself to. A, I mean, yeah. How did this all happen? How did uh, how did nitro take take form? Uh, you know, there's. It, it's really interesting. I. Th I think a lot of people feel like success is a straightforward path. Right. Uh, for me, it's always just been, you know, kismet. It's been the synchronicity of odd things. And it usually comes from some type of defeat, some type of failure. And out of failure, something good happens if I listen. You know, if I listen and tune in and see and take chances and opportunities, like I'm taking a, a big chance coming on this podcast with you guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, come on. This is great. So, no, so so maybe something good will come out of this. It was a joke, guys. I told you I'm not funny. <laughs> so I, I finished playing football in high school. I get zero offers. Okay. And, and you know, I'm like, okay. I, I, you know, I played at a small school in Santa Ana, uh, Southern California, down in Orange County. And I got zero offers. So I said, okay, great. I got a job. Uh, during the summer of my senior year and I thought football was done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. And nothing happened. I didn't get a scholarship. Uh, I'm working at Sears uh, selling metal etchings out of a kiosk and I'm making back then, you know, 250 to $300 a week, which, you know, cash under the table, which is good money. And I'm still dating the head cheerleader who's working in the South Coast Plaza down the hall at the new Ralph Lauren. So life, <laughs> life's good. pretty good. Life's good. Yeah. yeah. Got cash in my pocket. You know, I'm uh, still dating the head cheerleader. And as I'm working there, my 
football coach from my high school happens to walk by and he says, hey, Dan, I'm coaching over at the junior college. Um, you were a really good football player. You, I, you, you, you didn't get your scholarship, but, you know, I'm coaching there now. You should come out and try out for the team. And I said, eh, I think I'm done with football. I don't even know if I'm going to college. And he says, well, you should really think about it. So I thought about it. A month later, <laughs> I went to the school, uh, enrolled, tried out for the football team, played there for a year and a half, and got a scholarship to, you know, San Jose State, a D1 school, full, full ride. So I, I didn't think I was even going to college. And a guy walks by, he drops a suggestion. I follow that path. Uh, I, I go to college. So then I end up uh, playing for the Los Angeles Rams briefly, and, you know, I get cut. And I'm devastated. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm at that same damn mall, South Coast Plaza, trying to figure <laughs> out how I'm going to support my two-year-old son, uh, who, you know, I was bouncing at a bar, met a girl. You know, there's a whole story there. But uh, I have a two-year-old son. I'm not with his mom. And I'm at that same mall, and a guy walks by, and I recognized him from this show on HBO called First and Ten. It was about football players. And none other than, you know, the infamous O.J. Simpson was the lead of the show. And I see that guy and I'm like, dude, I saw you on TV, man. I said, that is amazing. You're on TV. And he says, yeah, I used to play with the Dolphins. I said, oh, I just got cut from the Rams. And he said, dude, we need football players. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, come on up, come on up at Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is an hour no traffic from Orange County, California. But back in those days, you didn't travel a lot. Like going up to Los Angeles, like, whoa, that was a big trip. So uh -huh. I said, okay. So I said, okay, okay, Floyd, you know, um, you can really get me on TV. And he's like, yeah. And so I go up to LA and we're eating at Chin Chin's for the first time. You know, I'm on Hollywood Boulevard. My eyes are wide open. I'm you know, kind of a country bumpkin. I'm sitting there at uh, Chin Chin's in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. And across from us are like these two leggy models, you know, long leg, you know, everyone's got uh -huh. dark clothes on. Right. And I'm, I, I had like plaid short shorts and a pink Izod shirt. I'm from Orange County. It's two different worlds. <laughs> and I remember I was so intimidated, right? I said, everyone wears black up here. I'm like, Ooh, they're like dangerous. And I'm sitting there with Floyd <laughs> and he just happens to know these models. And I'd never seen a model in my life. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know them. And I literally went home packed up my apartment, <laughs> broke my lease, and I moved up to Los Angeles in 1988 to work on this show, First and Ten, with O.J. Simpson, where I was a football player. At that time, I did not know what an extra was. I, I didn't know. All I knew, I was making $100 a day. I would be in the background scenes with O.J. and all the other football players and actors. And on days we actually hit... I'd get $250. And that, that was like, okay, I could hit people, be on TV, get fed, and make $250 a day. And, and I was in. So, again, there was no... That's also, like, that's decent money for, like, now that would be a real struggle. But rent then, that's, that's a good living for LA. Right. I moved up here with another buddy who I was playing uh, at the Rams with, uh, a guy named Jim uh, Califat, who ended up being Laser. And our rent over here on Ventura Boulevard Drive... Uh, on Ventura Boulevard in Studio City off Arch Drive was $900 for like a two-bedroom upstairs, downstairs, you know, with two master right, suites was $900. Wow. My, Great. My Jeep payment was, I think, 220 a month, like what your phone bill is now, right, your internet yep. bill. It, it was an amazing time. So it was all 
kind of by accident. And I had enough money to live for about six months. And I was like, okay, I got to figure out this thing. You know, I, I was doing the extra work. It was getting by. You know, I was, I was doing okay. Then I, then I had, excuse me, I had about six months of money left to live. And that was slowly dwindling. And I'm over there one night trying to think, God, what am I going to do? You know, I've got child support coming up. I've got rent coming up. What am I going to do? And I go to 7-Eleven. And there's this old magazine uh, called Dramalog. And Dramalog, they used to post jobs, castings. And like, I'm sure that's all online now. And I see this casting in the paper that says, we're looking for athletes that are good in front of the camera. I and love like where this. these opportunities are happening. So we got Sears, and then you're working at a mall, <laughs> and then 7-Eleven. This is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, you know what? That's just, dude, that's just the way my life has gone. No, that's amazing. Just, that's amazing. No, and it's I, just... I, I relate so much to the how you get to L.A., and I have so many friends where it's like, a lot of them, it doesn't go well after they get there. But... You know, you go and you visit, right? And your first experience is like you're just at some party full of supermodels and you're like, I'm going to move here. And then, <laughs> you know, it's just that was some outlier, I think, where like your and then first the day you're in 7-Eleven reading the magazines. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. like that happened to me, too. And I, I went to L.A. and like my first two days there were full of experiences I never had again. And I was just like, oh, this is what it's <laughs> like. Welcome, happening. Right. welcome to Hollywood, baby. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Funny. Yeah. So, so you're in 7-Eleven. I'm in 7-Eleven. I see this actors who are good in front of the camera. And like a little light shined on. I said, that's me. I'm an athlete. I've got this certain, I think, je ne sais quoi. This, you know, something. I, I, yeah, a bit I of resume. A, high... a bit of resume at the moment. Sure. As well. Yeah. I, I have a high belief in myself. Right. That I meant to do something. You know, the idea of, you know, getting a job and, you know, I had a son's mother was like, come back to Orange County, go to law school, you know, put on a suit, go work for my uncle's company. And the idea of just putting on a suit, sitting behind a desk every day, that just felt like dying to me. Yeah. And so I was desperate to try to find something else. I didn't know what it was. And when I saw this ad, I said, okay. You know, I'm going to go, go out for this audition. I go out for the audition, and I'd been on a few auditions before, and they were always in, on the lot, you know, in studios, and it was always impressive. This one is at a park in Van Nuys, and it's not the Van Nuys we know today, which is, you know, nicer. It was like Van Nuys, graffiti, um, homeless people. It, it was a rough gangs. It was rough, and I, I got yep. to the park, and I'm like, I'm going home. <clears throat> You know, this isn't, and then this lady grabs me and says, hey, you know, would you come try some of these things? So I try some of these things, and it's like football drills, and it's really, really kind of lame. And most of the people there were actors thinking they were athletes. There were very few athletes. There was a guy doing sit-ups with a guy sitting on his feet, and every time the guy sat up, this guy gave him a bite of a sandwich. You know what I mean? It was just this. <laughs> nice. A lot, a lot of. And, you know, there are other people dressed like in role-playing games, like Dungeons and Dragons costume. And, you know, there's another guy dressed as a bear. It's just like this weird, <laughs> weird audition. I, I think, I mean, like... It's like a standard Van Nuys, yeah, <laughs> standard yeah, experience. Also, like, it's a very, like, L.A. open casting call audition situation. 
But also, I think even more so in the, a- in the 80s Yeah, open well, call. Just... Yeah, open call was the right word. You know, so yeah, we, people we thinking finished... like, oh, I, I, I do a you, you do a good character. Yeah, I'm going to make it as a bear. I'm going to they're going to put the bear on the TV for sure. <laughs> so when I when we finished the audition, the gal calls me over and says, "Hey, would you come on camera in character?" And read, you know, one of these three characters. There's Malibu, who was, um, you know, the sun, the waves, tubular. There was Gemini, who had a split personality. Uh, And then there was Nitro, uh, loud, explosive, cocky, arrogant. I actually was born, I was born on May 21st, so I wanted to be Gemini. Okay. And then I I said, I'll I'll be Gemini. And then this big black dude kind of stepped in front of me. He's like, no. I'm reading Gemini. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, F you, man. But he was t- too big to tangle with. And he ended up being Gemini on the show. This big, great, massive dude. And, and I love him to death. So I was stuck picking this part, Nitro. And so they asked me questions on camera uh, in character. And it was like, uh, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> and I started answering all these questions like, you know, the douchey uh, and wonderfully beautiful 80s, you know, guy you could ever imagine. And I remember the last question they asked me and, they, and, the, and the lady's like, you know, what, what do you eat for dinner? And I looked in the camera and I would use my deep voice and I stared and I said, raw meat. <laughs> <laughs> And literally, she says, okay, cut, that's enough. Okay, thank you. (laughs) So I'm walking to my car, and I'm going, what an asshole. What a tool. Raw meat? Where did that come from? Raw meat? You're such a dick. And I'd forgotten about the job. And I was a couple months ago down the road, and I actually packed my car. I had a CJ7 Jeep. So I packed my Jeep up. I couldn't afford rent anymore. I was moving to go back home to put on a suit. I, I, you know, I had to pay for my kid. You know, child support was coming up. And as I'm on the freeway going down the 101, I remember stopping and looking at the Hollywood sign. You know, when I first moved, we first drove up here, we saw the Hollywood sign, me and Jim. We pulled the car over. We started flexing at it. Yeah, here we come, Hollywood. Yeah, we're kicking ass, you know. And then on the way out, it's just me with my car packed up. I pull over the road and I remember looking up at that sign and just saying, fuck you, Hollywood, flipping it off. And I'm driving down the 101, and then my pager buzzes in my pocket. You know, back then we had pagers. There wasn't sure, these sure. things called cell phones. It says, bzz, bzz, I ignore it, bzz, bzz, I ignore it. Bzz, bzz. I finally say, shit, I look, and it's my, my, my agent at a sports casting thing. I'm like, oh, I pull over, and uh, I call him back from a payphone. And he says, hey, Dan, uh, you got a call back for that show. And I said, what show? And he says, that, that, that show, you know, where athletes are good in front of the camera. I'm like, Joe, I'm done in this business. You know, I, my car's packed him on the way home. He said, look, it's a call back. And I'm like, oh, shit. And he said, you know, look, just go to this last thing. And he says, it's on the lot in Universal. And I'm like, well, if it's on the lot, it might be for real. And the last thing he said to me goes, <laughs> by the way, Dan, they liked your raw meat answer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, love it okay so I went back up to Universal Studios and um, you know got on the lot and uh, uh, you know I had this last tryout and here I am you know 235 pounds you know 
uh, had gotten cut by the Rams a year ago. You know, I'm on the juice. You know, I, I'm trying to feed my kid. I'm, I'm like just angry, pumped up. If you would have literally said, you know, here's 500 bucks. Uh, you see that guy over there? You have to fight him. I'm like, who is it? And they're like, Mike Tyson. I go, okay, come on, Mike. We got to go. I got to eat. <laughs> you know, I was desperate for money. Uh, so I, I'm there. And they brought these kids in from Cal State Northridge. When I say kids, college kids, they're the same age. And they told these college kids that they were going to help test out a new game show. And I know they thought Wheel of Fortune, <laughs> Jeopardy, you know, Trivial Pursuit or whatever. <laughs> and then they get there, you know, they give them like 40 bucks for the day. They give them oh a brown lunch, you know, and this, this guy, they stand him <laughs> like 15 yards across from me. You know, like on, so on deeply immoral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Today, right? Just think of the lawsuits today. You couldn't do it today. No, but I love yeah. I love how eighties this is, and I don't say that in a in a in a bad way. My when I lived in LA, especially the valley the Valley brings out the eighties. Like I would I would listen to Van Halen everywhere. And this is like in twenty fifteen. Like I would just that's what I would listen to, because you're in the valley. It's just been stuck in time. Yeah, it's yeah. stuck it's in the fabric. I, 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 love know, I love the 90s. I love the 80s. I love Van Halen still. That music doesn't change as you change. I, have you guys noticed that? Yeah. No, Van, Van Halen's great. <laughs> Van Halen I would, I would drive down Ventura listening to Panama all the time. And like, <laughs> it's down, so ease the seat back. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah so so you're you're lined up opposite these college kids who thought that they were going to be answering questions against the clock or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they draw a football field on the concrete floor <laughs> inside a sound stage mm. literally the football field is 10 yards wide it's 15 yards long and they give this guy the football and they say here take this football on the concrete and run it past that guy and that guy's me the guy who needs to feed his kid. The guy who is just on the freeway about to head home and pack in his dream. Go, your job for the, the $40 is just to take this cub from this mama bear. Like, there's a, there's a right. bear, and you just need to take its child away from it. For, right. For you're you're standing there. Show. This is our game. You're eating raw meat, and there's a, a kid from the mathletes with 40 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, and then, then they say to this guy, they say... You know, running past him, they blow the whistle. The guy comes at me, and all of a sudden, I just charge at him, and I pick him up. You know, I, I, like, you know, I could like on TV. I just I charge into him. I pick him up. I slam him down on the concrete. His head hits the back of the concrete. The ball goes rolling off, and I'm like, oh shit. I might have killed this guy. And the next thing I hear is like, ambulance, ambulance. <laughs> Somebody call an ambulance. And I'm over it off to the side. And I'm like, oh, so I screwed this up. You know, this aggression is just, uh, you know, I, I really screwed this up. And, you know, the producer calls me over and he says, uh, hey, and I look, I said, look, I'm sorry. You know, I, I hope I'm not responsible for his bills. I kind of just lost my cool. And he says, you know, hey, I want you to keep losing your cool. And I said, what? And he goes, Hey, kid, you got the job. <laughs> and that's how Nitro was born. That's so great. In the background, there's a guy where every time his heart beats, blood is splurting further from his head. <laughs> hey, kid, you got, got the, the job. job. <laughs> this is just this guy. 
<laughs> freeze frame on a high five with a yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah well, well someone's just stretched off in the background <laughs> yeah watching watching muscles and mayhem i i didn't know i mean by the time it reached me it was already this cultural juggernaut of a show you know because this is like the model culture days where there's three channels and a few other uhf ones but everybody was watching this show i didn't realize how Sort of like the early days of this were sort of just catch as catch can as far as developing the games and testing them out. They're like, I don't know, let's let's see if this works. And lots of injuries happen along the way, right? Oh, people got fucked up. <laughs> yeah, they, people just got fucked up. Uh, well, and, if the, and you if know the what, show's though? accurate, they didn't. Sorry, what I was going to say is they didn't seem to have any kind of medical staff of any note on, <laughs> on duty until like a few seasons in, where they're like, maybe we should have some, you know, doctors and people who know how to treat people handy yeah you know and look i don't think they i don't blame anybody i don't have any regrets i just don't think they were prepared you mm-hmm. have a bunch of suits sitting around and let's try this you know come on down you know joe from chicago get your ass kicked no oh, you break you bleed oh we didn't expect that so I just don't think they're ready. And look, I had no regrets. Again, I told you I would have fought Mike Tyson. I better quit saying that. He's going to come looking for me. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, I've seen in him on Instagram. every time. You're not yeah. like, I still will fight Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, good. Because I've seen him on Instagram, like, you know, and, and you see him on Instagram and he's like, you know, throwing jabs, punching, you know, and that guy is still fierce if he's, you know, not blacking out from mushrooms or something. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him at like a tennis thing and he was like, you know, like high on mushrooms and it was like in the stands and he was just tripping. But then other times, you know, you see him, he's like, jab, 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 and you're like, dude, that is still one bad mofo. But by the way, I think pay-per-view would break records if we could get pickleball nitro versus Tyson. Like that, if someone could make that game happen. In pickleball or well, fighting? In pickleball. I want to see you and Tyson uh, in pickleball. Would, you know, honestly, I would fight Mike Tyson if we could, if it was mixed martial arts. Oh, you know, I didn't know yeah, that was it, your thing. Okay. Yeah, if it it's not. <laughs> but I need 500 bucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, I mean if it like I took a lot of mixed martial arts and if it was and there was enough a substantial amount of money, you know, I I would get into a ring with him if we could wrestle kick you know and just hope that you could go in and grab a hold of him before he hits you. Right. And, you know, I I've been knocked out once kind of on gladiators and it didn't hurt that bad. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, you're knocked out, you boom, you wake up, what happened? You got your ass kicked. Okay, you get up. Jeez, uh, knock out. Have you guys been knocked out? Have you guys ever been knocked out? Yeah, no, we have very different lives. (laughs) (laughs) Jesse, have you been knocked out? Um, I was knocked out once. This is years and years ago. I uh, was in college and someone offered me 40 bucks to go do this show. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> that was and you. And I had to run a football past a guy. I don't remember a lot about it. It ruined my life. It ruined my whole life. Changed the I, path. Of yeah. And you haven't gotten erection since. No, no. I can't have children. And um, if I ever figure out what happened, but uh, no, I've never, I've, I've never been knocked out. No. We are, no, we are a mo- different I, class I, of men. No, I just I thought most men had been knocked out sometime in their life. I've stood up too fast. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've passed out, oh, infinite amount of times. There, there you go. Welcome to the club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but so you were talking about hitting this guy hard. What I did wonder as a kid is like, are these guys going as hard as they can? Are the gladiators like, is every hit the hardest hit you can do? Or you're like, these are civilians. I can't really do what I would want to do. 
No, you know what? It was pride in your job, one. Yeah. That you wanted to do a job well, but it was pride in who you were as an athlete. You know, it's like, look, this is me against this guy. Uh, the world is watching. Uh, I owe it to him, and I owe it to the audience to, to give my best. Yeah. And so, especially in the first couple seasons, you know, it was raw and scrappy and, you know, you didn't know what it was going to become, and you just were like, you wanted to win. And if you didn't win, if you got your ass kicked like Malibu, you know, Malibu, a great guy, just a shitty gladiator. He got his ass kicked the first 13 episodes, and, you know, they fired him. Oh, I thought so it was that one hit. It was like a consistent pattern of subpar gladiating. Yeah, he played racquetball, you know, and it doesn't transfer well. <laughs> You know, gladiating hit yeah. in the face. Sure. Yeah, it didn't. Football did well, you know, was probably the best for the guys. And the, and the women, you just, you know, they, they had to be a, have a little bit of that put bull, pit bull in a girl to, to be a glider because there wasn't a, an equivalent sport. She got that dog in her. To, yeah. Yeah, she had that dog in her. Yeah. Yeah, there was an equivalent sport to, you know, football where you're used to tackling people, you know, throwing them down, using your body to create violent collisions. So the women, they just got, you know, lucky, and they got some. You know, like you said, some women with the, with the dog and them with the fight in them, and uh, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was very it was interesting. And was there? See, a, see, a, my, oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say my first experience of the show was the UK version, which came after the American version. So they ironed a lot of the kinks out before they before we even got it. It was a much slicker affair by the sound of things. Uh, like funny, I, I just spoke to Cobra this morning, and I was texting with a Jet. Uh, so that about was about to be ago. my next question: was whether you whether there was any crossover friendships between the different international groups? Well, I, I was hoping with Jet there'd be more than a friendship. But she, you know, <laughs> she, she just, I was so enamored with her, but she just, uh, she wasn't interested in me, um, sadly to say. And, and now she just came out. Um, there's a podcast, uh, one of the fellow girl gladiators named Ice has her own podcast. I think it's called Chilling with Ice. And she just had Jet on, whose name is Diane. And then Diane just came out and says, you know what? I wasn't happy with men. I'm now with oh, cool. women. Yeah, that's, it's, it's good for her. But I, I think back then she was a little more fluid. She just wasn't flowing my way. And I tried. <laughs> you know, at, at, and, and Matt, this is probably true. You know, back then when I was a young single man, um, the approach to women in the UK is much different than the way you approach women, at least back then, in America. In America, you know, you, you, back then, you, you, you talk your game. Hey, baby, you know, how you doing? You know, you know whatever that game may be. Oh, you, know, you, look, you look good and, you know, da-da-da, what do you think? And, you know, you, you, you have a rap, whatever that rap is. Over there, that, they don't like that. They don't want you to talk and, you know, do all that. Because I would had the same rap there, you know, and uh -huh. I was over there doing the international version where they brought the best gladiators from all these different countries together uh, in Birmingham to do international gladiators. And, you know, I was a single guy and, you know, I wanted to, to meet a girl. And I kept trying. I kept striking out. And then one of my English buddies says, no, 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 you don't do all the talking. You just talk about other stuff. You know, you don't talk about dating and, you know, sexy time. You just, you know, talk about, you know, Thatcher, you know, or something like that. So, and, and, you know, Thatcher is capitalism, you know, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to try it. And literally the only date I had was with a girl where I started, you know, talking about anything other than us being together. And uh -huh. I kept talking about this. And the next thing I know, we're in my hotel 
and I'm not talking about anything that's going to happen. The next thing I know, we're in my room. And the next thing I know, we're in my bed. And I'm like, oh, that's it how it works across the pond. Is that, is that true? Is that right? I, I'd never thought about it like that. But I think there is a kind of Brits are less direct than Americans. They're definitely. Yeah, like I, I think I think in dating it. Like I've even talked about this on stage in in Britain, where uh, you know Americans will actively ask another American out on a date. Go like, I want to go out on a date with you, and then they'll go on a date. Whereas in Britain, you sort of get drunk near each other, <laughs> and, and and then occasionally fuck. Like that's how it sort of works. You sort of yeah. It's still, so, it's still so, yes, that I, colonizing that is, behavior. You know what I mean? It's still it's still under <laughs> like under different pretense. And then oh, absolutely! You just never talk about it. You're just like, oh, we appear to be in India now. Right, right, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, we're here for the spices. You know, it's no big deal. Don't worry you about know, it. You know, what then, be, you know what would be really great here? I think is if we run this country for a bit. If we run this country for a little bit, and you know, because I think we've got some good ideas, we could really help you out here. So we'll just right. run the country for a few hundred years, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Anyway, yeah, you, it's what well, don't 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 think too much about it. It's all good, all good. Anyway, <laughs> no, these were these. This was your well. Look, I have some, you know, really. Yeah, good so you're English. right. You are absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I have some good. Engli- I have some good English friends, and um, it, it's and I've been talking a lot to the UK gladiators because we're put we're developing a UK gladiators docu series. So oh, my cool. partner and I, Kyle, have gotten them all together, and now we're out pitching. Uh, the Netflixes, the Amazons, uh, those companies to do a UK version as more of a local play. So I've been back into touch with the Wolves and the Hunters and the Jets and the Zodiacs and the Cobras again, and it's been a it's it's, it's been it's been nice. It's been it's been fun to reconnect with someone across the pond who did the same thing you did, but different, but different than yeah. our show. Our show, I think, the downfall if you watch Muscles and Mayhem on Netflix was more about the greed. It was the greed of the corporation, the producers, who did not want to share in the success. Uh, we tried to renegotiate uh, after the third season, after all the toys and, you know, toy line material. Right, they're, stuff, they're literally you know. selling action figures of you and you're still just on a sort of day rate that you signed up to on episode one. Absolutely. And we went back in and we said, just be fair. We're not asking for a brand. We're not even asking for more money per episode. We signed a contract. We'll stand by that. What we're asking for is to share in some of these unforeseen at the time we signed the contract royalties and just give us what's fair and what the industry standard is. And, and it's, you know, symbolic of what's happening today. Right. Yeah. The gladiators, the writers, the actors are just asking the bigger corporations treat us fairly. Share in your success so we can, you know, yeah. sh- uh, we can hey, prosper as well now, as you. And- if you're a multi-billion company that uh, is making like Scorsese movies, maybe don't pretend you're just some little website that's making a few videos. They're like, oh, we're just a little web view. It's just new media. Uh, and, make my action exactly. figures, exactly. and make my action figures dick bigger. Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? It's like, no, that's ins- very insulting, you know? You know what? I, I didn't pull down Nitro's pants like you might have on your action figure. <laughs> he was pretty well equipped. Um, <laughs> That'd be great if that was the I, only action figure that didn't do the Barbie rules. It was just like anatomically correct. That's what I like mean. All, the other, ones, all yeah. the other ones are a smooth plastic surface, and then one just, just has a... <laughs> Disturbing. We're, we're, we're packing. We're packing. Veiny and, yeah. yeah, and it and it has like a little voice chip in it where it plays Van Halen when you when you pull down. <laughs> like, wow. And he ejaculates. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I do remember, you know, like that that, that you said that. Uh, I think it was Jesse um, when we went to see the toys at Mattel. You know, Mattel called us, called me. I was the first one. They called oh, me cool. and I said, Dan, you know, we can't wait for you to see these toys. We made your own action figure, you know, all this and that. And and uh, we go over there. I go over there. And it's this big, dark room. And all of a sudden, they walk me in. And a spotlight comes. Boom. And it's on this table. And there's my action figure. Finally, you know, as a, as a guy, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I, I'm going to be plasticized. I'm having my own action figure. This is great. And when the light hits, I see my action figure, and he's only four inches. And, like, <laughs> and, and I remember the guy's like, what do you think? What do you think? Like... Yeah, and they, no, they did. They put a big spotlight on it. And I looked at the guy, you know, and I speak my mind. I just said, dude, he's four inches. I go, what happened? And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I says, G.I. Joe's hanging 12, buddy. <laughs> you know, G.I. Joe's hanging 12. He's got the kung fu grip, you know, and he's like, what? And he was just like, tried to explain it to me. Like, well, you know, because they have the joust that they're doing and their toys and they need to articulate and they need to play at these games. And I said, no. I said, look, what this is saying is you got G.I. Joe's who's hanging 12. You got <laughs> Nitro who's hanging four. I said, if G.I. Joe gets into a fight with Nitro, G.I. Joe's kicking Nitro's ass because he's four inches. <laughs> And they thought it was about dick size, but it was actually, you know, role playing. I understood with kids because I understood my G.I. Joe. You know, yeah, you combine the toys. Right. And all yeah, of a sudden, oh, yeah. who was that little guy? Just yeah, that little gladiator. Yeah, he, he's him. a sadiator. Look how tiny he is. <laughs> but, but, you know, anyway, I, I did not win that battle. They said we sent millions of dollars. We can't go back and recreate all the molds. And I was like, oh, okay. You have it your way. But also, 12 inches seems excessive. Like, G.I. Joe's were 12 inches? Is that just like the some early, of early versions? Some of them. They had, they were different. Yeah, they were the, they had like the weird four and a half inch Star Wars standard Right, that's size. what I was picturing as like the But then, no, they were Star the 12 Wars. inch like dolls, like the original with like fabric clothing. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, later on, I think they, they launched them, uh, another line called the Real Heroes. But the B, the regular the ones OG. from Hasbro uh, were twelve inches. Okay, like sort of yeah, doll ish. But because that was you the original pitch of Ashen Figures. You can't have, look Bar Barbarella, right? Barbie Ken would kick Nitro's ass. That's just not bad. <laughs> that's no good, right? <laughs> right, right. Because Ken was larger too. He just like smashed little Nitro anyway. Yeah, and it wasn't just about me. Again, I was thinking about the kids and playing and what my experience yeah, yeah. of uh, you know, I was playing as a kid, penis size. Uh, you know, joking aside. Sure. Sure, but yeah, that but that was like, like you said, it's the perfect analogy for what's happening now with WGA and SAG, where these companies are just treating their talent like they're like they're fungible, like like you know, as as if the kids aren't there to see the specific gladiators, which they definitely are. You can't just plug in a whole new slew of them and tomorrow have everybody be happy. Like this is not some slot that can just be refilled. You got to take care of the talent that built up this entire brand, right? Yeah, well, Andy, you know what I've learned about success uh, over the years is when something succeeds, everyone thinks they are the reason why it succeeded. Right, right. And in any success I've had, it's never just been me. It's always been a team. It's always been a group of people who've worked their asses off to bring something, you know, to to a success. And I think we saw the same thing happen uh, with uh, Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Right. If you watch that great documentary, The Last that Dance. That is a great doc. Yeah. Right. And, and then literally when I pitched and sold this to Netflix, um, I followed that paradigm. 
And if you look at it, the paradigm is similar, right? Where, where the backstory is uh, of the last dance is why didn't the Bulls, the greatest dynasty, modern dynasty of basketball, get a chance to win their seventh championship? It was because the, the Bulls management said, hey, it's not players. <laughs> it's management we put teams together we will do it without you phil you're gone no matter if you win your sixth championship and michael's like well phil's gone i'm gone and that was the end of the bulls dynasty when you watch muscles and mayhem it's about once this success happens management says it's because of us you don't like it you're gone and that's the last of its greatness so if you now you now that anybody hears this and they go watch the show, they can see that it's built the same way on the same narrative through line. Yeah. Yep. It seems so obvious to see it like in retrospect, obviously it's clear, but like how does how does it keep happening? It's just insane that no one would be like, it wouldn't cost us a ton to cut in the people who are actually delivering on what we're producing. Uh, you know? Again, you know, success, everyone thinks yep. Yep. they're the main reason. They know the best and they know everything, right? Oh, no, it's because of me. It's because I wrote this. No, it's because of me because I filmed this. No, it's because of me because I could produce this. No, it's because of me. I'm the star. And even a great movie with a big movie star, it has to be done right. Yeah. I and mean, everybody's had a flop. You know, if you don't have the right team together, I don't care who you are. I mean, The Rock, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, you know, they've all had clunkers when they got away from, I think, the team formula. Right, right. Yeah. Have you guys seen Barbie? I haven't seen it I yet. haven't yet. No. Yeah, I saw it. Oh, yeah. okay. How was it? Um, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was, I mean, I did the whole like Oppenheimer and Barbie that weekend. I did the whole thing. So I was still in a like pretty grim mood because of Oppenheimer. I don't think you start with Oppenheimer. Or maybe you do start with Oppenheimer. I started with Oppenheimer. Yeah. yeah, no, I did. I started with Oppenheimer. So then I was like yeah. bummed out for four days, you know. <laughs> uh, so then I saw. I went and saw Barbie. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it is going to be a two-hour Mattel ad. Um, that's what it's going to be. I, I thought if you, if you take it like that and you just, you're like, this is what this is. Um, you know, it was funny. It had some good laughs in it. It was... For for what it is, I think it was uh, went some unexpected places. Jesse, man, you're among friends. You don't have to like put the masculine spin. Yeah, on it. You it seems it. like you're it's holding okay, something back. Man. Seems like you're apologizing for liking it. Well, you know, no, they, I mean what I'm what I'm saying is like I was a bit annoyed because when the lights went down, no one could see my no one could see the glitter nails I was wearing. Like I was annoyed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And my my skirt got a little. Um, see, you're still covering the, with these with these jokes. It's okay if you like. <laughs> It was the greatest film I've ever seen. There we go. There we go. And I, I, it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I have all the merch. And um, it changed my life. It changed my life in unexpected ways. Uh, It taught me things about myself. Um, There we go. Big talk with my parents afterwards. Um, It was, it was incredible. It was incredible. No, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, you know, I thought it was good. I may may go see it with some of my effeminate friends. Uh, uh-huh. I also want to, I would admit that I was totally wrong. I predicted on this podcast two weeks ago that it was going to underperform because it, because it was just like being thrust on everybody. You know, the pre, the did, did pre-release. Did you that? I missed you doing that, but. Well, I was just like, I thought the whole Barbenheimer thing was so like, 
manufactured and thrust upon us because everyone's like, right. how could two blockbusters be coming out the same weekend? I'm like, you don't know if they're blockbusters till they come out, but I was wrong. They both became, or I, I think Oppenheimer's not as huge, but Barbie is like oh, no, 8, it, 800 it, it, million. No, Oppenheimer's going to be huge for, I think it's... Uh, well, movie. compared to Barbie, it's not quite as big. I think it's like half of but it's, it, but it's only four inches, never... Barbie's 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the Oppenheimer figure is a bit boring. Um, you know, yeah, he, the he accessories just up that the it world. comes with uh, destroy your house. <laughs> Which is a <laughs> right. He just he blows. You know, I, I I saw Oppenheimer. I'm gonna go see Barbie just because it's part of the you know pop culture zeitgeist, and I think it's uh, interesting. I think the audiences. I thought it was funny. You know, it was funny. The female audiences. I think a lot of people are are you know kind of starved for kind of good. I know there's some adult humor, but just good, clean fun. Right, you know, at the right. box office and you know where girls can dress up in pink and and just go and just have that girl moment uh and, and i think that's why you know muscles and mayhem you know i, I just switched to a plug for my show no yes yeah, yeah. Hey, I think that's why Do muscles it. and mayhem did so well you know if i'll put on my radio boys it did so well netflix you know it was the number one show in america number six show globally wow because people wanted that nostalgic factor. Look, the world has become a weird place sometimes. And look, there's so many great, beautiful things in the world right now, but there's also some very bizarre, strange things, which yeah. I won't, you know, sure, the, the, yeah. the crime, the suicide, the obesity, the, you know, the wars and all that stuff. There's all this great, but there's also beautiful things in this world. And I think a lot of people want to find things where it goes back you know, to a, a simpler time. And that's the, one of the things Muscles and Mayhem did. It went back to the 90s. And when we built the show, you know, with Netflix, uh, they were like, let's make the 90s a character. And we're like, yeah, because yeah. we, we really pitched it that way with Van Halen, with MC Hammer, you know, just the music, the time, the clothes. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, it was comforting to go back there and, and, you know, so many people found me on social and they're like, oh, my God, I used to watch that, you know, with my dad. And it was like the best time I used to watch out with my brother or my sister. And what was the most surprising thing about all the social media messages and stuff, because these are for people I don't know, was that half of them for, were for, for, from women. And I didn't know that that show had such a strong female fan base, because if you look at other you know wrestling you know you boxing ufc it's 90 percent men and right. they this was just you know it, it, it was just part of the deal with the, part of the deal with the show is like i think it was one of the few things like that that did put female contestants and gladiators like you were on you were on an equal footing it wasn't like uh like the women's uh competition wasn't like an afterthought there were just as many female gladiators as there were male ones and the same number of contestants and they did the they, same games they did the exact same events there wasn't they didn't have to climb as high of a wall they didn't have to tackle and i really think for the first time it showed women in a different way that it was okay to be strong and it was okay to be muscular and it was okay to be athletic so for the longest time you know it was you know these little skinny you know girls and then this came on and like that's one of the things you know Andy where we met was CrossFit right and all of a sudden you know I think Gladiators was the the beginning of saying you can be strong and you can still be feminine and I think CrossFit took that to a a, a whole nother level where and when I was a kid if a girl had thick thighs like she was embarrassed now you see girls you know like with these thick 
juicy, luscious, muscular thighs. And it's like, wow. And they're proud of them. They're not hiding them. Oh, my thighs are too big. It's like, yeah, this is my shit. Look at me. You know, and I think um, gladiators probably planted that seed of what it meant to be a strong, muscular woman and that it was okay. Yeah. And also, like Andy said, it was also the, the, the final years of the monoculture where, like, nowadays there is no one thing that everyone watches that everyone's seen you know even the things that we think everyone's seen like when you look at the the viewing figures for game of thrones or something like that or the things that sort of go around on you know be like oh the finale of breaking bad everyone must have watched that and then you realize no it was outdone in the ratings by like a random episode of ncis Hmm. that got 10 times more viewers or something like there isn't there isn't the same thing but back then yeah, I you remember know, like UK gladiators. Everyone, it was yeah. the th- it was just the thing that was on TV at that time on that day. What like, you know, I think it was like Saturday it, afternoon. You know, what's funny is I, I feel like I'm just talking to a bunch of dudes, and I forget I'm on a on a science podcast. <laughs> I, Matt comes up with monoculture. Well, we were yeah. we were gonna. Oh, Andy Andy was the one who said that first. I'm yeah, just but it, him it was a different thing. I mean, like you said, yeah. that's kind of what the Barbie phenomenon is harkening back to. Is we all experience this thing together. We're all gonna dress up and go do this one thing, and that. I mean, I'm not gonna say that the old times were better, but it was different, and it was fun to have a shared experience with everybody on. The season, yeah. the series finale of Cheers, or this yeah, movie that, that everyone remember saw. Thursday night show, TV, like, right on NBC, right? <laughs> Cosby Show. Look what happened to that. Right, right. <laughs> Cheers. You know, then Friends. It was family destination TV, mm-hmm. and now with you know, like I, I turn on the TV or my streaming device, and I get decision fatigue. I go to Netflix. There's 34 new shows that I haven't seen, and there's these movies that they're producing that had no marketing campaign. I don't even know what they are, but all of a sudden, it's with a movie star. You know, Tyrone gets cloned. I'm like, who? And then I go, <laughs> then like, I, I, I can't watch anything. It's just, I, I don't. Then I go over to Hulu, and then I go over to Disney Channel, then I go over to, to uh, that new thing, Max, which is the worst decision ever, HBO Max. They just Wait, yeah. what's took, wrong with What's wrong with that? They just took their brand, an elite brand called HBO, where you knew you were going to get Games of Thrones, Sopranos, all these fantastic shows, and they just called it the Max, and they put all this lower-end stuff from Discovery on the same channel. So when you go in, you're seeing this high-end, beautiful TV and film work next to, you know, the pimple popper. Right, and it just right. it, it degrades the <laughs> fantastic HBO brand. Now I'm serious. I just I look at the thing, I get infuriated, and I and I, and I turn that. it off. So there's so many different channels. Well, who who knew that the prestigious studios that brought us Taxicab Confessions would have uh, <laughs> <laughs> real sex would have would take on Doctor Pimple Popper? Yeah. Um, well, well, you know what I'm saying. Just there's no, a general. It's uh, like, general watering down. No, of, I get a, a prestige brand. I get that decision paralysis where it's almost like, like I mean, I used to get it at Blockbuster, like going to rent a movie. It was too much. And now it's as if the blockbuster is the size of like the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like it's like an infinite, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like an infinite warehouse full of shit. And you're just there on the ground floor looking. And I have no idea. Like I have no, it's, it's way too much. I have no idea. So I, you know, 
they've done studies, right, with uh, decision paralysis, you know, and, and I think they said it's over eight things if you have to make a choice for them. But they did it with jelly in supermarkets where they have eight things there. I could be six. I don't know the exact uh, members numbers from the study. But if you go and there's six or eight things, usually you're going to buy one. But when it gets above that, when they start to have 30 things, you get frustrated. You don't know what to pick, so you don't buy. Yeah. There's all kinds mm. of weird studies that have shown, like there was one study where people got to, uh, one group got to pick from among a group of paintings and take that home with them. And they only got to choose once. One group got to pick and then they were told in a week you can come back and if you don't like it, swap it out with something else. And the group that had the chance to like change their mind later, they asked them to rate how much they enjoyed the thing that they picked out. And they enjoyed everything less because they spent all their time thinking about whether they could have picked something else or whether they will swap it out later. And the one who just had to like pick and go, that group rated their enjoyment of their choice higher. Like all this kind of like, a, like stuff. a horrible Christmas party game. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, people, people kind of don't want a ton of options. I mean, there's lines you can cross where obviously like they want some, but like it doesn't correlate with happiness having tons of Choices. Yeah, yeah, it actually correlates with not making a choice and uh, decision fatigue, right? All right, right. Let's talk. Anything else about? Let's get back to gliders. Anything else you guys want to ask? <laughs> I'm boring the shit out of myself. Well, actually, no. I was. We were going to try to do one we're story. We're going to pivot into one. Speaking on a of thing. Yeah. Because, like, now that I am aging as well, hey, none of us are getting younger, uh, and I'm still How trying old are to. You, I'm 46 now. Oh wow! And so I'm trying to uh, get back in shape for for things that are less impactful, like hopefully not rupturing any more discs anymore. But like I'm getting back into swimming, which I did in college. No more circumcisions. I guess. Yeah, no more back circumcisions. Uh, but, so much left. Right, right. But um, <laughs> yeah, so now I'm pivoting into more endurance things. I did this Lake Tahoe relay race with my college swim teammates a couple weeks ago. And uh, I'm like, maybe I was just never meant to be an endurance athlete. And here's a story we have a link to if you want to see in the show notes there, Dan, about how genes may determine whether you can be an endurance athlete at all. Maybe some of this stuff is just maybe it's not genes. for you maybe it's just I know. not for you yeah. do you feel like you have good endurance Dan or are you more just like a no I've done 23 and me and it's told me I'm a Clydesdale okay yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I'm meant to lift heavy shit over shorter Short uh, of time. ranges of motion I, I have middle to above average uh, fast twitch fibers so I think there's definitely a genetic component to uh, your athletic ability yeah. I, I, you know, look, right. Shaq has got a better chance of playing basketball than a smaller person. Yeah. I've often said, I, though, that it's it's interesting to me that things like um, boxing, for instance, there there are only so many sports that have weight classes, which I think is unfair to other sports. Like if if you get great at basketball when you're a kid, you have to just hope you wind up being seven feet tall after puberty or it's or it's like never going to happen. And I do think there should be different height classes. You know, like go to go A to the class like basketball league. Yeah. yeah, like go to the under 5 foot 5 pro league. I'd go watch those games. It'd be awesome. You know? Because uh, actually, I never thought about that. That's totally reasonable. I don't know why that. That's actually not a bad. Well, no, <laughs> yeah, I know because because like with with boxing, how come just that one? It's like no, there'd only there'd be so few boxers if it was like no, this is just it's the same sport, so whatever. We're not even going to weigh you. And then the heavyweight guy just would, would just kill people. Yeah, you, you could just, be the best flyweight I, I, boxer I, in the world and you just get murdered <laughs> right. by a mediocre. Right. I think you said the right words, kill people. 
you know, there's certain sports. Oh, <laughs> uh, there you go. Okay, if there's you know, a danger. Size and impact. Like wrestling, too. <laughs> that wrestling, they have weight classes. Weightlifting, they have weight classes. Uh, like in, you know, powerlifting competitions. So I, I think it gives that smaller person a equal opportunity to compete against people his age. As well as it, as you get older, there's age classes. Right, I know right, when right. I was competing in the CrossFit Games, you know, I would, not the games in, the, in CrossFit, um, I would feel great about what I did and knowing that I used to be a professional athlete and then some guy who was 25 who was just an okay athlete would come in and kick my ass. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's smart that they do that. And every once in a while, someone surprises you like a Spud Webb, you know, who was five foot three or whatever he was and makes it to the NBA. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think it's I, I, that doesn't I bother just, me. No, I mean, I just I wish they did it more. I wish they did it for different it just might make for interesting, yeah, interesting viewing, right? If anything, it would be interesting viewing. Yeah, the under five foot NBA. I mean, I'm season pass for me, man. I'm and there. the seven foot plus exclusive. Yep. Like yep. I'm down to, there. Yeah, I'm down there. I, you guys, you guys must have more time than I do. <laughs> to watch an NBA game for me. Yeah, no, they'll a put it on NBA game or versus a five foot under an under game. No, they'll put it on. They'll put it on max. Games. You'll on. log in and it'll be, it'll be next to <laughs> exactly. Dr. Pimple Popper and you'll see yeah, some I want to I see people who look like me in the NBA. I want to see people yeah, dream, of my height. Dream big. Dream big. Actually, then again, then again, on, on the other hand, right now, I can tell myself that it's my height is the reason that I never made it as a pro basketball player. Right. Like, Might I, be I, I could have been in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if there's any, the are there any English basketball players? I know they're like from Latvia, Russia. There, ha- there have been. I don't know if there's an NBA player from Britain right now. Oh, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, I, wonder why that, I wonder why that is. I mean, I Here think we, go. We, we, we had the author of this great book called The Sports Gene on the podcast oh, almost 10 yeah, years ago. I love ago. that guy. David Epstein. Yeah. And he talks about like a lot of this stuff just comes down to in different countries, what is the prioritized sport? Like in Jamaica, the annual countrywide high school track championship meet is like the Super Bowl of that country. It is the biggest event. Everyone comes out to it. So if track is the highest priority sport there, where in the U.S. those same athletes would be like funneled towards football or things that are going to be lucrative later, like so you're not going to have... So I'm sure in, in the U.K. there just isn't the priority of basketball, right? Yeah, yeah okay. So there's... The- just looking up now, uh, Brits in the NBA, and of course the the most famous the one I knew about was John Amici. He sounds Italian. Uh, sorry, Bob. But yeah, he was also he was also born in the U.S. originally, but he was raised in the U.K. As was um, Luol Deng, who it was British but also Sudanese. He moved from the Sudan to Britain. He's African. Too. Sorry, Bob. Yeah, he's an uh, African dude with the Chinese name. Here we go. Steve Bucknell. That's a very English name. Okay. Okay. That's... okay. I, I, I can see him now in my eyes. There we go. Steve Bucknell. Robert Archibald. That's, that's, that's almost very a fake British, British very name. British very British as well. But, but that, was, that was an African-American black dude, right? Wasn't his name Tiny Archibald? Oh, I, Just because I, you colonize somebody doesn't mean they're English. <laughs> their, their blood, their roots, their race. Uh, J- Joel Freeland. There we go. He was with the Portland Trailblazers for a few years. What era? What in, era was that? Uh, in the 2010s, to, to, oh. 2012 to 2015. Oh, so, okay. when you were there living you in Portland, maybe were you in Portland then, no, or had you I left? Think I was already out of Portland by then. But 
Okay, what's the next science? Is sorry, yes, science we have question? one more. We, we haven't even finished this one side, sorry, about whether endurance uh, training is something that might be in your genes. This is a an article written in the first person, but I will take it out of that. So uh, for some of us, no matter how consistently we train, running never seems to get any easier, while others appear to be naturally gifted and can run for miles with ease. Part of that comes down to factors like the training you do, your diet, but a recent study shows that genetics also explains why some of us are better endurance athletes. So for this study, they recruited 45 participants in the UK, speaking of your people, aged between 20 and 40, and they were randomly split into two groups. The first group was prescribed a strict eight-week endurance-based running program. It was 20 to 30 minutes outdoor run three times a week. The other group acted as control, and they were instructed to continue with their normal daily routine, and they monitored all kinds of physical activity and things during that period. At the beginning of the test, they all took a military test called the 12-minute Cooper Run test, which shows the maximum distance a person can run in 12 minutes. Why does that even need a name? You just say, just run for 12 minutes. Uh, it was designed to measure their running ability and aerobic fitness. It was repeated at the middle and the end of the study to track changes. They were also given a DNA test, and the training group um, significantly improved their Cooper score by an average of 11.5%. Uh, but even that group performing the exact same amount of training and making no changes to their diet or lifestyle. People still improved at different rates. And by the end of the study, they found that top performers could run about 20% more within the 12 minutes compared to their baseline results. On the other hand, a few of the participants struggled to see any improvements within the eight weeks of training. And they looked at some of the reasons why some showed large improvements while others showed little. And they found 18 single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs, which were directly associated with the endurance improvements. SNPs explain how a genetic sequence or a single gene can vary from person to person or population to population. So while our genetic makeup is the same, what differentiates us are the specific genetic variations we have. And they discovered that people were able to run longer distances when they had more of these 18 favorable SNPs. Those who did the endurance training program but saw little to no improvement had very few and in some cases none of these SNPs. So it essentially means that some people have a greater potential when it comes to benefiting from endurance training than others. And I think, I'm, yeah, I'm in one of those non-endurance groups myself, like like Dan. I haven't done the 23andMe. I didn't know that was part of what you get back results-wise was whether you're more of a fast twitcher or not. Yeah, well, you look, just look at the country of Iceland, right? There's some bad mofos over there. And you wonder why. How did Iceland become a country or a nation, right? As people who left where did they leave? They left somewhere and they yeah, went there know. and only the strongest could survive. And, and the death rate when they first moved there because the, the, circus, uh, the, the situation environment was so damn harsh, they were just dying. So they ended up through Darwinism creating a stronger species that were more hardy, that had less disease, that could, in fact, most likely uh, endure more. I was just reading, I don't remember if I was reading this article, I was reading an article about that. I was like, oh, people from Iceland. They're tougher. And I think it might have to do something with CrossFit is why are all these Icelandic people doing well and why can they take more pain and torture? So I think there's definitely a genetic equation. I've got one in my it. torture chamber right now. It hasn't made a peep. <laughs> hasn't made a peep, this guy. It's uh, pretty annoying. Right? Trying to get my yeah. nut off, you know? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I, so what, what, the, the roundabout way is lo, the long question. It was um, uh, helping Jesse get his nut off. Yes. Oh, my yes, God. Exactly. <laughs> what? I can't go see Barbie. I can't torch for an Icelander. What am I allowed to do with you freaks? <laughs> what can I do over here? <laughs> but, yeah, we did. We talked about those kinds of things with David Epstein back in that episode, too, about the fact that if you if your ancestors 
spent more time closer to or farther from the equator or North Pole. You know, basically the human body is also a radiator and people who spent more time evolutionarily in hotter places are tall and skinny to have the highest, uh, the lowest surface area to mass ratio, basically to like be able to radiate heat and farther north or south closer to the poles, you know, people who are shorter and more round and can conserve heat and not lose it to the cold. And like that That makes sense. It makes sense. I'm reading uh, guns, germs and steel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that is, you know, uh, the evolutionary process of man and how we spread out across the continents, what people came, when, where, and why, and how are they built the way they are built. So it speaks to, to this. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think how much variation happened in such a... And I think, like, in most of those variations happened in, like, a small fraction of the time that the species has existed, which is why there's still more genetic variety within just the continent of Africa than the entire rest of the world because we all started there and it wasn't even until relatively recently in human history that humans left there even though that was still you know tens uh, tens of thousands I don't actually know my scale on this stuff but human species is less than a million years old right uh, no, absolutely. And I think it's yes. I think, I think it's yes. um, I think the modern human species is what Hundred thousand? No, that all? Oh, I, I think it was like it's 100. the modern hundred. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm just I'm just getting to this book right now. Yeah, uh, and we might be thirty thousand years old. Okay, but we yeah. But then you have what the Cro-Magnon man, then then the humanoid, yeah. then the so, Neanderthal so like the, man. Those are, here we go. The the I'm sort of looking it up now. Like, I mean, this is just from very quick yeah, googling. Yeah, we're older than that. So so human well human species. Like the first Homo sapiens is like two hundred to three hundred thousand years ago, which is still very recent in sort of geographic times. But then developed a capacity for language about fifty thousand years ago. Uh, so you know, what, anything that sort of the beginnings of culture, then you're talking in, the, and anything that you sort of really identify as human, you're, you're talking in a few few tens of thousands of years. But wasn't there a, a brain change that happened similar to then? Not enough to change our species, but. Um, and this could all be just total bullshit that's disproven. But I was reading uh, *Sapiens*, which was great. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. But it talked about this um, just through dietary change, whatever. Around fifty thousand years ago, something about the nutrients we were getting changed. It just I, a, I think a certain part of the brain, the amount of proteins we were getting, something happened. The abil- I, is it is it cooking? Isn't it like the ability, like the ability to make fire and cook food? Well, I think also then... to, to make weapons, too, right? As right. The, the societies that advance quicker are the ones that also knew how to make weapons and store food. Right, right. That's also that, like that, that totally makes sense because then you, you're spending so much less of your you're spending so much less of your energy and your life trying to get and eat food. Once you yeah, can cultivate well, food, that's also why they and... had the mass extinction of different species, right? When we started to uh, spread out across a different continent. Some of these continents, they'd never, the animals had never seen a human species before. They didn't know to be afraid. So they just went and mass slaughtered, you know, across, across <laughs> right. Australia, America. Oh, hey, dude, cook dinner. Just bonk them on the head. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Well, Dan, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but it's been so much fun 
having you on hey, and yeah. reminiscing about what was one of my favorite experiences from my adolescence. Like, very glad here. It's just such a blast. And everyone who hasn't seen Muscles and Mayhem, you have to watch it. It's directed by the director of Napoleon Dynamite, Jared Hess. Really well done. Like you said, a total. It's a very fun and quick watch. Yeah. 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 You're like quick in that you just. You'll finish an episode and then, yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll just do one more. Let's just yeah. do another one. I watched it all one night, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, you know, Jared and, and Tony Vanuku, who was the co-director, uh, Jared brought him in as well. Um, you know, when he came to me, so I pitched Jared to get him on the project. Said, this is what it is. This is what we're doing. Here's are the stories. And then uh, after our initial meeting, he came back to me two weeks later and he was like, you know, I, I think I want to animate some of this. It's like, ooh you know, uh, animate. I'm like, really? Because that could go wrong in so many ways. Yeah. Right. You know, I could be looking like somebody from South Park or, you know, I, I was just like, are you sure? Animate? Really? I don't know. And he said, let, let me show you some animation samples. And then he sent over a couple animation samples based on stories I told him. And you know, he was very clear and specific. Look, it's going to be a He-Man animation style from the era. And he goes, I promise you, Dan, just trust me. It's going to be 100% better than if we recreated some of the great stories that you guys share. You know, we have an actor come play Nitro, you know, and someone and he says, this is going to look great. Nobody else is doing it. It's going to be funny as hell. And I think it's just the perfect tone for this because we never lost sight as tough as the competition was and as serious it was looking back through the lens of today, we're perfectly comfortable kind of winking and laughing at ourselves in spandex and big hair. And, you know, those days when the biggest question on set was, you know, hey, if you shaved your legs, would that increase your aerodynamic, you know, uh, <laughs> capacity? And would you move quicker? Just stupid shit like that we talk about. So we realized that. And he was great at capturing the, the humor of the of that time period through the lens of today without ever making fun or laughing at us so you're laughing with us in that time so he was fantastic for that and tony vianuku the other director who did that really great um docu-series on netflix about uh manti teo the girlfriend who wasn't there did you guys see that oh one? yeah guy who got no. catfished i know that i remember the story i didn't know there was a doc about it Oh, it's so good. It, it, it's up for, I don't know if we ever have the Emmys, Netflix put it up for an Emmy. But it's about this, you know, the most celebrated football player 15 years ago at Notre Dame. He was a, a Manti Teo, a, a Hawaiian or a Tongan guy, a Polynesian guy. And he had this relationship with this girl for a year and a half. And right before the big national championship game, he says that she dies. But what we realize is that girl never exists. He was part of this huge catfix catfishing hoax and so the netflix series the girlfriend that wasn't there uh, goes and you know shows you how in that time and age where this you know nice polynesian kid could actually be fooled by showing you the the recordings of her leaving him message which is really a dude oh my god so yeah it's just like you're like how could he be fooled he's lying how could you not uh, dating a girl for a year and a half? But they actually, sh you listen to the phone messages and the guy who's also Polynesian, who is a football player, happened to, he happened to be able to talk in a really high-pitched voice like, sweetheart, and, and call him before games or give him all the stuff. And every time Manti tried to meet, you know, he, the guy, she would like find a reason. And Manti, after about a year, was like, this is fake, it's not real, you know, I don't believe this. If this is real, Manti says to the girl over the phone, take a picture of you right now 
and send it to me with my two cousins' names on it. And you're thinking, busted. He, yeah, there's no way this guy can do this, right? Yeah. Because he's created this fake profile from a girl he got off the internet and he's using her picture saying it's, it's, that's who he is. So the catfisher finds the girl reaches out to her and says hey look you know my two kids uh you know they're dying with you know cancer or something if you could put your name and take a picture on it and send it to me it'd mean a lot to them so the girl (laughs) does this not knowing amazing he sends it to mantiteo mantiteo oh okay it is you you're real i'm sorry sweetheart so it's just this really crazy, crazy That's story. Nuts, I'm such, yeah. yeah, I'm such a big fan of his, uh, uh, Tony Vianucos as well. And, you know, Jared Hess is just a, a great dude, funny. It's his genius, you know, uh, to bring levity to difficult situations um, like he did with Napoleon Dynamite. He's actually directing a huge movie now. Oh, it's yeah? um, Minecraft. Oh, it's a video game. Minecraft. I think yeah. it's called. the biggest video game ever, maybe. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't play the game. I don't so either, but I think it's one of the biggest video games in the history of the medium. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what they're going to do to make a movie out of it, but OK. So J- Jason Momoa is playing the lead. Wow. That's all I know. <laughs> and I if you look it up online, you can kind of see like some things. But he's directing that this two hundred and fifty million dollar Warner Brothers movie Minecraft now uh, with Jason Momoa starring. So I, I'm a Damn. huge fan of his. He's a great dude. And That's Tony great. is too. Yeah, like you said, the show the show is so great, and so many things I'd forgotten about, like your cameo when you're in a love triangle with Ellen DeGeneres and Zap on Ellen's sitcom. <laughs> Is that, that's just a sign of the times, right? So, so we did this episode of Ellen where Ellen has a crush on me. Ellen and I go on a couple of dates and then I have to break up with Ellen. Uh, she doesn't know why. So she finds out that I'm in a relationship with Ice and she comes oh, Ice, you know, gets on the... Yeah, Ice, she comes and gets on the stage, you know, gets comes backstage and is like, Ice, how dare you? That's my guy, and I'm going to kick your ass in the joust. You know, it was just so funny, and like you said, an emblematic of the times, that back then you had two gay women fighting over a straight dude. <laughs> <laughs> still, two still-closeted gay women, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at that yeah, time, two, still yeah. two closeted gay women going through this song and dance where they want this... Well, they know, both pretended to be in lo- madly in love with you. Right. <laughs> he's he's pining over Jet, who... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's funny, I have a phone call with Jet later. Well, tell her she we bats, said hi. Yep, yeah, she bats cool. said, well, I'll tell her Matt said hi. You don't know who she <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, right. <laughs> Andy doesn't know who she is. That's true. Jesse I just Googled her. Though. I, I would have been a fan yeah, t- if I had Yeah, tell her, yeah. Tell, tell her Matt from Northwood. <laughs> yeah. Matt from Northwood. <laughs> yep. Do, do you remember the English Gladiators, Matt? Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah who it was, do you think it was were exactly, the most popular? Yeah, and it was, it was, I was born in 1980, and it was in, on in the sort of, Early to mid '90s, so I was exactly the age to be watching. Yeah, I watched every episode. It was Who are the gladiators you remember? So, uh, oh, was, I remember. Hesitating. I remember Jet. I remember Lightning. I remember Cobra Hunter. Wolf was like the bad guy. Like <laughs> he was like, yeah. Um, and yeah, what was that? Was there a Shadow? Or was that in Shadow? The US was the was the was the guy who got popped for roids and later went to prison for. You know, he was a henchman for um, a local gangster and, uh, you know, he got hooked on the bad kind of drugs and um, threatened to break somebody's kneecap with a baseball bat. So they put him away for five years. <laughs> He's just getting out now. Wait, wait, oh, wait that's oh, that's real. That's not like a plot of the show. Like yeah, a, I was like a well, fucked up beeline. <laughs> like we're going to get real dramatic with the, with the backstories, you know? Wow. 
Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming. Great meeting you. Oh, it was a joy. Oh, I'm yeah. Glad. Thanks for doing it. <laughs> really, really appreciate it. I'll see you at the pickleball corner of the gym at some point. Awesome. <laughs> Let's do it. Very cool. Right. Thanks again, guys. Right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.